Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, coming to you on Tuesday, March 21st. Uh, we are the Lakers play. Who do they play tonight, Andy? Clippers. The Clippers. That's a that's a big rivalry game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we've been Ta- told. The town is on edge, Andy. We've been told that for years. Um, yeah, and it, it hasn't happened, and it's not probably not going to happen tonight. Uh, but anyway, so the Lakers have what, like 11 games left, 12 games left, something like that, and they have shut down, Andy, all of their – Old players, except for Corey Brewer, and they're they're just playing with and occasionally young Nick players. Young when needed. Nick Young is in and out of the lineup as designated by either matchup or whim, right? Or whether right whether they need to teach D'Angelo Russell a lesson, right? Uh, so which, which is obviously something we will get into over the course of the show. But it's interesting. The Lakers have meta, sh- by the way, it should be known available. Yes, I uh, do remember the other night actually after the the fight in the Milwaukee game. Um, uh, who was who? Young was thrown out of the game, and so Jason Kidd got to choose who was going to take the free throws for him because he you know, got fouled and whatever. And you could see Meta during all that was like jumping around and getting all warmed <laughs> up and whatever because I'm sure he was convinced that Jason Kidd was going to pick him to go take the free throws. And if he had any kind of sense of fun and whimsy, he would have. But he chose Thomas Robinson instead. Um, I don't remember what happened to the free throws. The Lakers lost, so I mean. Um, you know, who knows? But uh, anyway, that was that was the meta moment uh, of the week. So the Lakers have shut down Timofey Mozgov, and they've shut down Luol Deng. They've sort of shut down Nick Young. And that's part of the tanking argument. The flip side of that, Andy, is the, is the whole resting argument, where you rest good players because you want to preserve them and win games later, as opposed to preserving good players now so you can lose games now. Uh, it kind of came to a head this weekend when the Cavs sat all three of their stars um, against the Clippers at Staples Center ahead of the Lakers game, and then you know it was like what was it the week before? Yes, Golden State sat all of their good guys. They, they the essentially, Spurs. yeah, they they sat their big five. I mean, when Kevin Durant out because of injury, they Patrick sat McCaw. They sat <laughs> they sat uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andre Iguodala. Um, during a game against the Spurs where Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge couldn't play, theirs were legit reasons. Kawhi Leonard was still going through concussion protocol. LaMarcus Aldridge was having the issue with the uh, heart irregularity, which thankfully has been, I guess, alleviated, and he's now able to get back on the court. But that was a major, major high-profile game Saturday night ABC with basically no stars to speak of. Right. So basically it's it's two weeks in a row that the, the marquee Saturday night ABC game has been scuttled by rest. Um, Adam Silver has, uh, in a memo to uh, all 30 teams in the NBA, said it's going to be a big topic of discussion at the next Board of Governors meeting early next month. Uh, it's a, quote, extremely significant issue for our league and a memo sent to team owners obtained by ESPN, specifically Ramona Shelburne. She's the leaker, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> our president has some some words for you, Ramona. Yeah, I, can, I cannot wait to see the James Comey testimony. Right, where, about where he, Ramona well, revealing well he won't the, be Well, he won't be able to specifically talk about Ramona. Right, and whether like, or not there's an investigation like he, into Ramona. Right, he, he, he'll say, I, I don't want to specifically talk about uh, people or whatever. He may not even acknowledge that there is an investigation into Ramona because he doesn't want Andy, people. He may not even acknowledge that there is a Ramona. Right. Well, he doesn't. He does not want to acknowledge that Ramona may have leaked uh, classified information. Right. But if one day she misses a shift, mm-hmm. 
I think we know why. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, Ramona getting the the dirt there from Adam Silver. You know that <laughs> they were probably more than happy to have leak actually. Uh, but anyway, so it. But the, it, this gets to the the. Uh, this is in a lot of ways it's the opposite of the tanking question, um, and. It's got everybody all twisted up in knots, and Trudell and Thompson are in there freaking out, and John Ireland's freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. I, 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 I'm having trouble getting worked up over it, though. I mean, I get why the league doesn't like it, and I get why teams do it, and I don't think it's something that the league can fix necessarily because if a team wants to rest a player, how do you say you can't? You have to be legitimately hurt. Fine, you make up an injury. You know, he's got a flu. He's got an earache. He's got a sprained knee. I mean, whatever. How do you you can't you can't solve this problem? Well, I think the biggest part of the problem it's it's not and and this is where I think sometimes the discussion about this gets a little bit convoluted. The issue isn't resting players individually. Like the problem wasn't that LeBron sat Saturday night against the Clippers. I mean, it, that sucks for people in LA who specifically bought tickets to watch LeBron play. Right. And those people exist, and it happens in every single market. Oh, it's, and, it's basically every market when the one time a year LeBron right. comes to play. Right, and, and, and I genuinely feel for those people. But that's not really the problem. The problem is when teams rest players in bulk. You know, when they rest their big three, or in the case of the Warriors, rest their big four. Right. And, and you have this mass... You know this mass wave of players unavailable for a game. That to me actually turns this into a bigger problem than it actually is. Because if, if say you look over LeBron's slate this year, he's missed very few games. So it's not like the Cavaliers are individually creating a problem by sitting LeBron frequently, or or the Warriors even are creating an issue by sitting Steph frequently. It's more the way you go about doing it than the actual right. issue of rest itself. Well, I mean, David Griffin, who's the GM of the of the Cavs, said that you know Kyrie, who missed the fourth quarter of, of Cleveland's the previous game they played with a knee problem, was going to sit in that game. Kevin Love is just back from from what was it a shoulder this time? I, I forget. It was shoulder it, surgery again. It, it, it's a long absence. I mean, he'd been gone forgot, at least forgot, six. Or right, seven I forgot weeks. what it was. I thought it was a shoulder, but I could be wrong. Um, and. He, you know, the trainer said they don't. They they want him have time. So neither one of those guys, according to David Griffin and the medical staff, are going to play. And so at that point, I think they looked at it and said, "Well, as long as those two guys are out, we might as well give LeBron the day off because you know we're in L.A. Chances of us beating the Clippers go down significantly. You might as well give him his rest now." Um, and I do so- think I do think there is an issue of teams, you know, particularly particularly teams like the Warriors or the Spurs that are led by people like Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr who have been at the forefront of the rest movement and they're real believers in it, I do think there is an element of trying to prove a point. Well, yeah, In the same way that Greg Popovich often has done with TNT games when it comes to these scheduling issues where you have these marquee games either at the front end or the back end of a back-to-back they're trying to prove their point and about scheduling issues by leverage and leveraging players as a way of proving it. And I, that's what I was going to get to because the Golden State, when they sat uh, sat their guys last week, Steve Kerr made a point of telling Tom Haberstrow that you know the schedule made a difference. They were in, they were finishing up a stretch of eight games in eight cities in thirteen days, including including uh, two cross country flights and eleven thousand miles covered. Um, Six of those eight 
were nationally televised. And that messes with your schedule. It makes the games longer. It does all kinds of stuff. And so I think a lot of, you know, that means that the Golden State's schedule is in part being set due to television demands, not what's fair to them, what's unfair. It's because they want the Warriors to be on TV, which makes sense because they're good and super entertaining. But if the NBA wants to fix part of this problem, well, then fix how you put the t- games on TV. You ca- you can't penalize the same teams for that you want to be in the playoffs and you want to have their stars and you want to be have everybody set up and, and all that. You can't penalize them for trying to see that end game by sacrificing games during the season when you make their schedule harder because of television. So if you want to protect Saturday night games on ABC – Make sure that the teams playing in those games have a day off before and have a day off after. You can make that schedule work. And also, you too, have to protect those games. I, I, I was going to say, protecting those games, it, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways you can talk about it. And, and I'll steal this from Kevin Arnovitz. I heard him talking about it with, uh, I think it was Zach Lowe on the, the Low Post podcast. If you want to showcase those games as you know optimal as possible and make those games as good and entertaining and, you know, really reflective of the league, you need the players at their best. Yes. So this is beyond just if you want to call it selfishness on the part of players wanting rest, because there are a lot of fans and older school players who will say, suck it up. You know, Carl Malone coming out this week. I mean, all this stupidity. Right. But look, I mean, yes, you can do it. Clearly, you can get these guys through an 82-game schedule, playing every single game, assuming they're physically able but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best product. Just because a player is available, if, if a player is exhausted and not playing well, then ultimately you're showcasing a, a, it's what an we've inferior seen the product. Guys exactly. wear down by the end of it. I, I would also argue, too, because I mean this is something that you know Trudell and Michael Thompson and John Ireland always rail against, is the idea that teams like the Spurs, for example, and this really is in a lot of ways a, a Spurs conversation with a couple other teams involved. Right, Spurs created. Right. That the Spurs are being selfish and that they're only thinking about themselves and only thinking about their championship quest and their playoff run, which to a certain degree is absolutely true. I don't think it's to a certain degree. I well, think no, it's no. To a almost entire degree. It, sure. But, and, and that they're not thinking about the health of the league and that all these teams make up the league and that the league should come first. I would actually argue that when you're talking about a team like the Spurs, you know, that is not just small market, but I mean, they are extreme small market. They are not the ideal city for any type of professional team. They have had sustained excellence for 20 years. And, you know, every year we wait, we wait for the Spurs to fall off and it doesn't happen. And that success, I do believe, has come in part to the way Greg Popovich manages his players. And the way he manages his players to the success of the Spurs actually benefits the league because typically markets like San Antonio drag down a league and they become they problematic. Can. They certainly can. They, they, Tony Parker has played, has had his career extended. You know, is this all due to rest? I don't know. Uh, Manu Ginobili can't has hurt. played longer. Tim Duncan played longer. It, it, it certainly can. And as Pop, I think, pointed out Tuesday, I think that in some quotes that came out today in reaction to some of these things, it's, it's, you know these guys have longer careers that benefits the league um you know they play better that benefits the league and there the, are a lot of different right, ways you science, can define what right, benefits the, the league the science is changing 
Like, you know, all these guys, Carl Malone, this, that, whatever, all these guys. Yeah, he's, those guys were freaks. You know, Michael Thompson sits there and, you know, you know they all, we all remember the guys who played 82 games a year and managed to get through it. And we forget the guys that played through stuff that they shouldn't and ended up playing 40 games that year instead of 75. Or a guy like been, Larry Bird who, who had fell his out of the league, at, right. you know, five years earlier than they should have. And, you know, so fundamentally, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff here. You know, the, the science seems to say, and it's, it's evolving. There's no question. First of all, that rest is good. Uh, second of all, sleep matters, all these other things. And resting for the entire game is better than playing 20 minutes. Just don't play. The difference between 30 minutes and 38 minutes isn't that big a deal. The difference is 37 minutes or whatever and zero. Zero is good. The other one doesn't matter as much. And... You know, so particularly on a night like with the Cavs, if LeBron is going to play and Kyrie and Kevin Love aren't, not only is he going to play 40 minutes that night, those 40 minutes are going to be 50 times harder than they would otherwise be because he's not going to be able to take possessions off. And so, you know, the quality of the minutes matter. All this stuff matters. And this, I, I just, I come down on it is the obligation of the coach. And the players, and the GM, and the owner—really, at least those three—to think about the team. I agree. It is their responsibility is to the team. It is not to the league. Ownership can have a little bit of a different, a broader perspective, because the GM is going to get fired if the team doesn't perform. If he's thinking about the league to the expense of his team, he's going to lose his job. You know, the owner has a, a broader responsibility. I just, I can't put that on them. And so that's one part of it. And the second, uh, so the second part is, I don't believe in, in, in this controversy is really worth getting into that much because there's no rule you can create that can be enforced. You can't take money away from players for resting. First of all, I think actually a lot of them would say, "Fine, you know, okay, take a game check. I, I, it's more important for me to stay healthy for the playoffs and try to go win." So I think a lot of them would would begrudgingly do that anyway, even if you could take it from them and you can't. Second, I think teams would just say, we're not going to, you don't have to do that. We'll just say you have a bad knee. And that gets to the third part. They're going to make up injuries. That's how it used to be. I saw a stat that said, you know, in 2012, there were zero DNP rests. BS. There were many DNP rests, except they were sore elbows or an ear infection or a headache or flu like symptoms. That was people resting when they could have played. Now we just call it rest because we don't bother with the charade anymore. We don't, or even Andy the charade. Mm-hmm. Either one. You can't create a rule that's going to be able to be enforced. So don't create a rule. Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, I guess in closing on some on on this topic that I think teams have a responsibility in how they go about doing this and how they go about doling doling out rest. And if at all possible, and I do think in most cases it is possible. You try to find ways to stagger it because I because you don't want to be just actively screwing see, over fans. I disagree. Fans. I actually think you're better off if you're going to give people rest. You're better off punting one game than potentially putting yourself at a disadvantage for four or five. But that's my opinion. But go ahead. No, no. But I I, I, I get I, I get what, what you're saying. Right. But I, I get I, I get agree. what you're saying. But I I'm I'm saying that to a certain degree, everybody has to do this in a way that's less than perfect. And to me, that that's a way no, that's, that's less than perfect. Don't agree. But still that's fair fine. enough. But also, too, the NBA has to seriously address the way they go about scheduling. They have to try to eliminate back-to-backs whenever possible. But also, too, and I don't hear this get talked about enough, eliminate these stretches 
where teams have three or four days off. I think ultimately, if you start going to what's essentially like every other day, you're going to be able to find maybe the sweetest spot possible. Maybe. I mean, some of these those, those stretches of three or four days off are, are good to have. They, they are, but they're recuperative. But, but there's a trade. You know, but there's a trade off. Sure. Well, just make the make the season longer. Make you know extend the season. Pre- and they're doing some of this. It's better than it used to be, and it will continue to get better. And I think what you'll see is they'll manipulate. It's unfair to penalize the really good teams who are on national TV all the time. But are also for essentially teams, being good. For essentially being good. Nobody, nobody cares if Sacramento rests its good players. Correct. They don't have any. <laughs> you know, the Lakers. This is a problem. I think Lakers fans hope that uh, that they have sometime soon. Like the idea that they might want to rest players. Yeah, that are, that are in the interest of winning more games later, exactly. as opposed to losing them now. Um, so. Not a problem that's going to go away. We'll see what happens in early April when they meet and talk about this. I suspect there will be all kinds of sound and fury, uh, but of little significance. So uh, the Lakers have been busy over the last week or two in terms of creating some headlines. Um, they sat D'Angelo Russell for a couple games after... Well, what? played him off the bench. He, well, right. They sat him off. To sorry, clarify. Yeah, thank you. Um, this after what, probably an eight games, eight or nine games stretch. He played some se- of it was seven best. games where he was terrific. and then and easily then one, the best, one bad one, easily the best player on the team post Lou Williams. Right, and so they made the decision to start Jordan Clarkson, ostensibly to because they wanted to see what Clarkson could do as a lead guard with starters. Um, and also because I think they wanted to give D'Angelo a little bit of adversity to overcome. Luke Walton uh, admitted to that. Um, and they so they created it, and it really this comes down to they're trying to do a lot of things at once over the last fifteen games or so. You know when they started with the new management in place, they're trying to see every scenario that they might have to cover over the off season with draft picks and who who could play what position and, and trades and all that, while also trying to figure out what who the players that they have are. And I'm not. Sh- I think they're trying to. They may be trying to cram in a few too many things at once. I think they absolutely are trying to cram in too many things at once. I I've actually had some concerns that the way they're going about doing this with deactivating Mozgov, deactivating Dang, you know, using Nick Young sporadically, and often putting out these rotations where outside of Corey Brewer, there is no experience to speak of whatsoever. Beyond jumbling these lineups and beyond jumbling rotations, you're putting these guys out there in a situation where they're very often, you know, not uh, the the game against Cleveland notwithstanding, where I think all in all they played pretty well, although I don't think Cleveland really dialed in until the fourth quarter. Right. But at nonetheless. Which, at which point they started to dominate, right, but, which but is what you would expect. Right. But the, but the Lakers, to their credit, I thought played well. It was some yes, of the best execution absolutely. and focus they've had all season. But particularly since Lou Williams was dealt, they, to me, have looked, even by their standards, very rudderless and very much without structure. And I am growing concerned that a sustained period like that with these type of settings puts the kids in a position where I'm not sure how much they're actually learning or how much they could be learning versus having somebody out there who actually knows what so they're doing. So would you play – would you be dressing Deng and Mozgov? Probably. Because let's be honest, they were losing with those guys too. Like I think you can go too far in trying to you, ensure is these this losses. A re, is this a? I mean, once they traded Lou, I mean, anybody who looked at their their numbers would understand that the second you trade Lou Williams, yes. you become 
catastrophically I mean, look, bad. During so, but, but, but right, I get that. So, I mean, and I think they knew that and they expected it. And you make that trade a thousand times out of a thousand because the pick is more valuable. I, I don't, I, I mean, people talk about the Dang and Mozgov benching and, and you're shutting down as if this is like a major move towards tanking. I don't really think it is. I, I mean, I look. I don't think it makes. Look, I mean, it doesn't. Ten and ten seems like a long time ago, but I was there, and <laughs> I'm old enough to remember <laughs> when the team was ten and ten. Yeah, I don't remember too many times where you and I, you know, doing the post game for seven ten said, "Man, thank God Mozgov was right, there that, to bail him out." But that's my point. It's right. not. It's not a tanking you can maneuver go, to sit those guys. You can go There's a difference between losing by twenty eight and losing by 25 maybe. And my concern is, I mean, for as much as Dang and Mozgov have clearly not produced and clearly not lived up to the money, they don't make mistakes that constitute lack of knowledge. They understand what they're supposed to be doing. I think sure. generally speaking, they do what they're supposed to be doing. And as much well, as I mean, try. you and I have been screaming for years for the Lakers to embrace who they are and embrace the idea that everybody, including the Lakers, have to rebuild. And I get the stakes of why it matters to keep this pick if possible. Because you're not just keeping one first-round pick, you're keeping two first-round picks. Right. Because if you lose this one, you lose the one that eventually goes to Orlando. But there's a difference between embracing, you know, tanking if you want to call it that, and embracing it so hard, you may be choking the life right, out but, of it. But, and I have. But do some... you think that's what? They're, do you really think that's what they're doing? Though, yes. like, do you think that, that yes. by sitting I mean, again? I go back to it. Sitting yes. those guys is not a tanking maneuver. I don't think. Well, just be just because they may be mistaken doesn't mean it's not what they're doing. I I have some concerns that in whether you're talking about embracing tanking to the fullest or embracing a youth movement to the fullest, they're going extreme enough. That it may get in the way of some development. Maybe that's my concern. I, 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 maybe um, I was. I'm less concerned about that than I am because you know they've had some good moments. Brandon Ingram is definitely yes, trending up very, very quietly, which is I think kind of everything he's going to do for his entire career is going to be quietly done. Uh, but he's trending up month to month, and his his march has been very good. Yes, it has. Actually. Um, Russell bounced back with the game against Cleveland, and he certainly post Lou was good. He was actually playing really well in the Milwaukee game before he got before he tossed. got tossed, right? And so you know they may have gotten. It's worth. And we'll come back to this in a second. They may have gotten what they wanted out of the you know the benching, trying to yeah, trying to prove a point to D'Angelo. I I'm less concerned about what you're talking about. I don't think because I they were they, they their structure wasn't great before. And ultimately, minutes matter. I think, you know, getting Zubats 20, 20 to twenty minute, twenty five minutes a night oh, I matters more than giving him seventeen or eight, you know, sixteen or seventeen with. Yeah, I'm, I'm making up a hypothetical lineup with Luol Deng next to him or something like that. And so, you know, and, and I think the sure, the reps, except they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. I, but I, I understand I, what you're, you're saying. saying I, I get what I get what you're saying. Um, you know, getting Randall and Zubats to, on the same on the floor together, and you know Randall and Nance, and all these combinations of people that you that really ultimately you're going to go forward with, are more important than the the slight bit of structure that you might add by getting Mazio. And I understand the value of it. I you know I frankly I think getting Clarkson and Russell on the floor together. Thank finally God. Which is what they're going to do. Thank God Luke has stopped resisting doing this. Right. They, Thank you. They put them together. 
is more important it's, than the, it's the structure actually, that you might get. It's actually pretty shocking and pretty striking if you go to like NBA.com and go through the two uh, two man lineups for the Lakers. How few minutes Clarkson and D'Angelo have played this year together? It wasn't very many. It no, was, I mean it was it's fewer than I thought. I, I, I was way less than you it was thought. Four hundred and something or it, whatever. It, it was until like four until games, the game the other night, right? Until like four games ago, it was something like four hundred minutes over the course of at that point like. 70 games, and even if you take into account injuries that either one of them have had, still, they have not, not played, played much together. Um, and so that'll, that'll change. I mean, they, I was, I was, I'm glad they got D'Angelo. I'll say it this way. I'm glad they got D'Angelo back in the lineup. And I'm glad they've got him playing next to Clarkson because I think ultimately they can try to accomplish what they want to accomplish with them playing next to each other. And as Luke explained it after the game in Cleveland, against Cleveland, off of misses... They, whoever, you know, somebody grabs a rebound, if it's Julius, he pushes the ball himself. If it's someone else, you, you look to your right, look to your left. If Clarkson's there, you pass it to him. If Russell's there, you, and you go. Um, off of makes, when the two of them were on the floor together, they wanted Clarkson to take the ball and initiate the offense because that's what they want to see. Mm-hmm. And they want to see Russell off the ball. Yeah. And so that works. As the game went along, because Russell was playing so well, and he's better at it than Clarkson is. D'Angelo ended up with the ball in almost all of those situations, and he was handling the ball and he's doing those things because he does those things better than Russell, and so things are going to sort of naturally gravitate that direction. But it is interesting, like the you do the scenario. I, I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt here. The scenarios are real, where either you think you're going to draft another point guard and so that makes D'Angelo expendable and you want to see or more importantly where you lose the pick and then but still end up trading D'Angelo and you need to know do we have any point guard can Clarkson do it and what's fun to watch is and I talked to Luke a little bit about this after the game it's like moments and they showed some of these on Spectrum moments where like Clarkson gets blitzed with a double team he wants to dribble out of it like a scorer does and then look either look to make the pass or attack the basket but he doesn't see the pass that's right in front of him. They're wanting to see if he can learn how to do that consistently. I don't think he can. I don't think that's what he's going to do. But I, I understand why at least they're looking, and I understand the need if the three best players at the top of the draft are all point guards, why you need to see what Russell can do away from the ball. And I think he could be pretty good there. I, I do too. I I mean, D'Angelo has a lot to learn about playing off ball, and you know, like a lot of guards, particularly young guards, he's far more comfortable with the ball in his hand than without. But even last year, you know, because he had to learn because Kobe always had the ball, you could see times where D'Angelo made really good cuts and seemed to have good instincts. Yeah, and they I, like his cutting. Ability. I think his instincts off ball are better than Clarkson's instincts running an offense. No question. But either way, like to me... I think D'Angelo's just a better basketball player. Sure, but this is where some of the frustration I've had with Luke's resistance doing this, particularly once Lou was dealt, is if you really want to get the best idea of what Clarkson can do running an offense, I think you serve him best putting the best players around him, in particular putting some of the better shooters around him. And D'Angelo is, I think, the best shooter on this team. He's the be- He is. I mean, certainly the guy's left. He's the best catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, and of the young players that they have. I mean, it's funny. He's, he's the only floor space. You, you and I were talking about, you know, like George, uh, Julius Randle, if I had to guess, I've not done the numbers on this, but probably has the most amount of games with like six-plus assists on this team, if I, if I had to guess. And it sort of dawned on me, well, 
I can find that believable as opposed to like D'Angelo having the most games with like six plus assists because D'Angelo didn't get to pass to himself. Correct. I mean, a bi- <laughs> a big advantage Randall has because I think he does see the floor pretty well, particularly for his position, is he can find D'Angelo. Right, and a lot of these are things that, you know, he's moving the ball off the break. It's a, it's a handoff, it's whatever. But you're right, he does get to throw the ball to one of the better shooters that they have. And I look, this is not an easy team to rack up no. assists on. No, it is not. I mean, it's not. It's just, the, and, and, and the problem with what they were doing before with Russell running with the second unit, both as a, as a starter and, you know, as, a, as both as sort of a one or a two next to Ennis, is... Like you don't, there's no floor spacing there. There's it's it's a totally different group of people, and I I just I was surprised at how surprised people were that he didn't handle it well. That he had those two really bad games, including that game in Houston, which was his worst as a pro. It's like you take a kid and you tell him you're doing great. We love what you're up to, but we're taking your job away from you. It's prom- we promise it's not about you. It's about something else. That's not how he's going to interpret it, and so. You go and you take it away, and now not only that, particularly a kid like D'Angelo who does have some maturity issues anyway. And so now you take him and you put him in in a second unit with guys that he doesn't play with, and not only that, you're asking him to play a a different position, play a different role next to a point guard who sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I've seen enough of Tyler. And I'm not going to do the no disrespect to Tyler Ennis thing after that. He is he is. An NBA basketball player who's obviously excellent at what he does. He's in the whatever. By NBA standards, he kind of sucks. And so here we are. He's moved around a lot in a very short amount of time. And I'm starting to understand why. And and then you're surprised he didn't handle it well. Now, but, but I will give them credit. They sat. They talked to him after the Houston I th- game. I they think the in. talking to him really mattered. And I think that part mattered. Particularly, you know, he's talking with Magic, talking with Palinka. I think that mattered because there's – D'Angelo is keeping it close to the vest, how he actually feels about this, and he keeps downplaying it. His feelings were hurt. Right. He keeps saying that it's more important to him to finish games than start, I believe, half of that. Yes. I think he cares a lot about being on the floor at the end. He also wants wants to start. start. But there also, too, has to be a part of D'Angelo, even if this is all deserved, that's got to feel like, why is it always me? Because last year, I was the guy always singled out on a team that was terrible. Mm-hmm. And this year, it feels like I'm the guy that's always singled out. Right. Particularly, even after a stretch, when I'm out well, I playing, playing everybody. The, I was playing as, as, as doing everything right. And again, even if it's deserved, and even if a lot of this has to do with practice habits and you know concentration Demeanor dedicated and, to the right. game, which we've heard right. from I, many I, people, he needs, is an I, issue. And I, and I certainly cop to the idea that they know more. They damn well better know more than I know about like right. what goes on in uh, that's fine but I don't even acknowledging that. that that can be a factor there's got to be a part of him going like why is it always me mm-hmm. which can lead to that reaction even if he should be professional about right it. and so you know they talk human to him, nature and, and we'll see how it sustains itself because i think that's really been the biggest issue with him is okay you do it for a stretch of a week learn to do it for two learn to do it for three learn but he's a 21-year-old guard. This, this consistency issue, people are always so inconsistent. Of course he's inconsistent. He's a 21-year-old NBA point guard who, like, four years ago was somebody you knew nobody had ever heard of. Well, he's also, he's surrounded by inconsistent right. players. Right. And I mean, think how, but think the, how otherworldly Kobe, in his prime, had to play to take, like, the smush Kwame teams to the playoffs. You know, you had Lamar Odom there, and Lamar was an excellent player. But Kobe had to play otherworldly, and this was Kobe 10 years into the league, arguably the best player in right. the game. 
I mean, scoring fifty points. In right. Eight. I mean, so like that's what Kobe had to do, and how hard it was for Kobe, even he's as just, great as Kobe was. He's just he's not. Do you answer the question? Why is it always him? And this a lot of this comes down to you know, the fan reaction to him is you know he walks around sometimes like his bleep don't stink, which people don't like. You, you're supposed to be humbling, and it's probably inaccurate. Everybody's All, does. everybody's everybody's <laughs> everybody's does. Everybody poops. Yes, and everybody's poop stinks. Yes. And so, you know, there's definitely an attitude thing. And Magic does – he does need to work on his on-court demeanor as a leader and things like that. That stuff matters. But part of the reason that he gets picked on as much as he does beyond that stuff, which people just don't like, we, you know, particularly crusty, you know, white fans. We don't, we don't like attitude. I've seen Andy. plenty of black fans who don't like D'Angelo. No, either. I know what I'm saying. But it's, you know, we you – know, I, I think in some ways D'Angelo could be considered – We post- don't like this in any sport. Sure, but I'm saying he could be considered post-racial yeah. in certain <laughs> ways. Like I've seen fans of all ethnicities, all backgrounds not like D'Angelo. That's true. But you remember I always said like D- – JD- He's bringing America together. J.D. Drew would benefit by every eighth strikeout smashing a water yes. cooler. Yeah. D'Angelo needs some of that, just the theater of appearing like you care in, a, in the way people want you to care. Have defined caring. Um, in the Kobe way. Yes. Um, as it comes to Lakers fans. But part of the reason he gets so much flack is because he's, at, he's the, the, the one guy in there that has shown the flash of being the player that they really need him to be. Well, look, the, st- the stakes with D'Angelo and with Brandon Ingram and almost to the same level, Julius Randle, they really matter. These are high lottery picks. That and Lakers, Ingram and Russell more than right. and, and, and Randall. And, and Russell more than Ingram, at least for the time being, because A, he was first, and B, he's older, and he, C, he plays and the point. I was going to say, D'Angelo Russell is, with the exception of Nick Van Exel, he is the only high-end point guard prospect the Lakers have had since Magic Johnson. That's like 20-something years that the Lakers Pierre have gone. Brown. <laughs> that the Lakers have gone without a high-end point guard prospect. I mean, that, and uh, you're you're talking about a position that is associated with glory for this franchise. And oh, by the way, that guy happens to be running the franchise now. So I mean, the, the stakes are massive with D'Angelo. Yeah, I mean, he's just none of these guys is transcendent, and none of them are the instant hit where we can all just kick back and be like, "All right, we got a guy. Let's go get the rest of them." Um, and that makes people nervous. And you combine that with the attitude issues and whatever. But the good news is, you know, 40 points against Cleveland, that was nice. You know, Kyrie scored a bunch. Kyrie scores against a lot of people on this team so bad defensively. Um, let's 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 do one thing at a time. Exactly. Let's, you know, baby steps. Entertaining um, game. D'Angelo played well. They kept their odds for the pick. Everybody wins right. except the Lakers. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm glad we mentioned Ingram playing well. He has played um, really I, well. I, I mean – Ultimately, we'll get into this you know, more as the season wraps up and the, you know, the playoffs start and we can kind of look back and, and everybody starts reflecting. It will be interesting to try to figure out, okay, what did they accomplish this year? Like, you, you know, know what I think we're actually going to know is next season. It's true. I think next season is when we're going to really we're gonna get... talk about it before then. Sure, but, but we we're, won't know. We're, 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 it's never stopped us before. Nope. But, but, I mean, look... We talk out of our ass. I mean, that that is literally our job is to talk out of our ass. We're Microphone basic- is currently pointed to my butt. Yeah, I mean, we are, we are Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura. That's what we do. But, I mean, really, we're going to have an idea of what these guys learned and really Luke Walton's true potential as a coach. I think we're going to know next year. Yep. All right. So, uh, final bit of news, Andy, today is that 
I don't know why this became a thing <laughs> or how it became a thing necessarily, but it is very clearly a thing. Uh, and the newest member of the Thing Club is Shaquille O'Neal, who uh, declared emphatically that the Earth is flat. Um, he is a flat earther. He joins Kyrie Irving. Flat Earth uh, truther. Flat Earth truther, right. But we've, it's, we've been lied to. Um for all these years. Well, I mean, what it is, it's it's what big uh, round earth wants you to think. Right. <laughs> As an industry, big round earth I'm cannot t- afford I'm for tired. you to know the truth. I'm tired of being under the thumb of big round well, earth. Well, and also, too, I mean, big round earth, they've got all these politicians in their pocket. Like, everybody knows. A- you know why, Andy? Citizens United. He, oh, oh, huge, huge Unlimited reason. Unlimited corporate donations from big, fl- big oh, round earth. Oh, I mean, look, Trump keeps saying that he's going to drain the swamp, but all those big round earth people that he keeps appointing, it's obvious. Well, they fund the Goldman Sachs people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's so bigger than all of them. Shaq is a flat earther, flat earth truther now, joining Kyrie Irving, apparently Wilson Chandler, and Draymond Green, uh, this overall star break. As he gets thrown into this, I, I don't think he was giving a full-throated endorsement of flat earthism. Um, well, he didn't back down. He didn't back down. But Kyrie went. Kyrie's stuck up for it a bunch of times, and Shaq now did it. Now this was on his uh, podcast. Um, he said, "Quote: It's true. The Earth is flat. The Earth is flat. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Listen, there are three ways to manipulate the mind. What you read. This is, this is Kyrie. No, this, this is, is Shaq. Shaq. What you read." What you see and what you hear. In school, first thing they teach us, oh, Columbus discovered America. But when he got there, there were some fair-skinned people with the long hair smoking the peace pipes. So what does that tell you? Columbus didn't discover America. So listen, I drive from coast coast to coast, and this bleep is flat to me. I'm just saying. I drive from Florida to California all the time, and it's flat to me. I do not go up and down at a 360-degree angle and all that stuff about gravity. Have you looked outside Atlanta lately and seen all those buildings? You mean to tell me China is under us? China is under us? It's not. The world is flat. End quote. I do think it's weird that the people under us aren't upside down. (laughs) And I've always thought that. But they think the same thing about us. Right. It's a big earth. (laughs) It's a very big earth. And again... I, while while Shaq is taking issue with it, that's where the gravity comes. And I in. remember, like you know, guys like Carl Everett, and there are actually a fair amount of people who don't believe in dinosaurs. Right, like that's pretty common. Dinosaur truthers. Dinosaur truthers have been the standard for a while, and now they're being bumped out by flat Earth truthers. Um, but interesting question. Yeah, because it sort of affects them. How do the fossil fuel people feel about dinosaurs? The existence and whatnot. I suspect that they are very – they are pro-dinosaur. Pro-dinosaur? Yeah. Okay. So that's another industry All I know about fossil fuels and dinosaurs and all that is what I learned from Airplane. Right. First the dinosaurs <laughs> came and then they got that and then the oil and all that stuff. Um, so this is a thing now and it's – it's a, how many more people do you think will come out? Like when does it become safe to really be – because they're, they're all opening themselves up to ridicule. Yes. Um, and rightly – <laughs> but when does this become the kind of thing where enough people how many more stars need to come out before you don't have to be closeted about your well, i don't know if beliefs? it's i mean look i don't know if it's ever entirely safe i mean we saw you know leading up to trump's eventual election there was such a thing as the shy trump voter i mean you know that that was a phenomenon that had been talked about before the election, and a lot of people didn't buy into it, but as it turned out, that clearly was a thing. People who did not 
want to admit uh, they they felt that you know it went against what was considered socially acceptable to admit that you voted for Trump. And then we've recently seen Tim Allen came out and said, now admitting that you are a Trump supporter, it feels like 1930s Germany, which to me feels like overstepping. Well, here's your the, point. The, the rule, the, 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 the rule that they always say in entertainment and certainly in radio and all that kind of stuff, because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble when you, when you go here, the only person you should ever compare to Hitler is Hitler is Hitler. Yeah. Otherwise just stay away. Yes. Um, that's just sound advice. Yes, you can. Well, I think analogies. even by the way, you can throw slavery into that too. Generally speaking, the slavery yeah, comparisons don't, compare don't things work out. To slavery, slavery unless those things actually are slavery, slavery and Hitler make it a. Well, like that's a why. True, but part of the reason the you know the the uh, the Andre Iguodala comments right a, you know a week or two ago whatever right. hit so hard because it's like all right. Generally speaking. Those, unless you're very, very clear about what you're saying, those need to be true right. apples to and apples so, comparisons. So my point, being, Germany. my point being, you know, Tim Allen, we have Trump as president, and Tim Allen still doesn't feel comfortable right. uh, speaking to his support. So it it could take a while. Right. We may, if nothing else, we need a president who is a flat earth truther to maybe even get that thing going. Which, by the way, we might have. <laughs> There's a decent chance you we told have. me. And by the way, I do I do agree with Tim Allen's basic premise that being a conservative in Hollywood puts you in a very distinct minority. But if you were to tell me that Donald Trump thinks the world is flat, as opposed to simply behaving that way, it wouldn't surprise well, me. It wouldn't. Would it, that? Would that? No. I mean, would that? I mean, where look, would that land on a list of surprising Trump things? Like. Top this is, 20%. Look, and before anybody, look, before anybody. This even, isn't about Republican or Democrat. This no, is purely about him. Purely about Trump. And he, yeah. is, he is somebody who I think most people would agree, unless they're part of this particular, I guess, sect of people, he is somebody who buys into conspiracy theories. Yes, he is. And I and think. And not necessarily spent a lifetime devoted to the sciences. And, right. And, and, and even the, way, the basic ones. Even And the way Shaq laid this out, essentially, round earth is a conspiracy. Yes. So by that train of logic, no, it would not be it shocking. In the least. No, it wouldn't. Which I uh, really hope he keeps that to himself. Because <laughs> again, I, in America, whether you like Trump, don't like Trump, whatever, we, we have some PR work to do. And if he if we it comes out that the president thinks the world is flat, he's got to keep this to himself. It's only going to get harder. <laughs> he's got to keep this that is just him. not the kind of the memes while entertaining right. would be ultimately destructive th- to the future. You cannot of the think about the empty calorie satisfaction of those memes, which I get. I mean, they're they're very very seductive, right? But don't fall. And that's coming it. from us, who always think Trump that 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 funny Trump's memes. Yes. So. I guess I mean in, I guess in closing the the <laughs> the thoughts the thought process of Shaq or Kyrie Irving or whatever the thoughts expressed by the Kamenetsky is that, <laughs> but that essentially the Earth is flat but endless yes and that that's where you don't no, fall off the edge I guess I don't know no no I mean it, it has to stretch out indefinitely that's the only way this works. The only way because somebody would have fallen off the edge <laughs> and somebody would have reported that. So the only, I mean, the only way there, there are holes. The only way that this could possibly be true, and it's not, 
But the only way is if the earth and its oceans and its lands and all these things are just stretched out infinitely. No, it's just that you can fall off the end and they're just not telling you. But that doesn't make sense, though. (laughs) And the reason is, though, you would think that if anybody was falling off the earth, the flat truth or the flat earth truthers, they'd be screaming to high hell about it. And they, and they would have seen it by you'd, now. You'd be dis- for, at the very least, you'd be disappointed in the lack of fencing. <laughs> so I'm, d- I'm just saying, if anything, that that's what they believe. They just believe that Where's you the can't water fall go? off the edge. Nowhere. It's end- it stretches yeah, but, right, infinitely. But I'm saying if it's flat and it doesn't, and we all can agree that the Earth isn't infinite. Where does I mean there? No, there. No, no, we can't all agree. (laughs) We can't all agree. That's the point. I worry that these guys haven't necessarily thought this through. Or they thought it out just enough. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, uh, we'll see. We wait with bated breath to see who the next people are to join the Flat Earth Truth or Society in the NBA. It is apparently a thing, and it is not going away. Um, Neither are we. We'll be back at some point next week, probably. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later.